Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Selah Fellowship podcast for our Sunday services. Please open your Bibles as we dive into our study this morning. So if you're uh, joining us this morning, we're going through the Gospel of Luke. Um, We're in Luke chapter 6. If you were here last week, I believe we made it through the 19th verse. And this morning, we're going to go from verses 20 on to the end of Luke chapter 6. So you can turn there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, all words are inspired and breathed by you. And this morning we will uh, look on together of words directly from the mouth of Jesus. And um, they seem to come very clear and very direct, Lord. And I know that you have something specific for each one of us. And as is um, echoed in the scriptures this morning that we would hear, Lord, we ask now and pray for your spirit to give us that ability to drown out the noise, um, help us to hear and to listen and to learn. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Luke uh, chapter 6, starting in verse 20. And if you look at Um, the remaining verses, and you're anything like myself, what you're going to find, and and if you came in this morning with a red letter Bible, you're going to notice that all but one of our verses this morning are in the red letters. Um, So what does that mean? Well, the red letters mean these are the words of Jesus. And uh, this... Is a passage of scripture for me, I, I feel like as I went through it, I'm still standing up here trying to catch my breath. Um, you know, as I was looking through this, it's like this is literally every scripture, every verse that we know. If you know any scripture, it's every verse that we um, find ourselves quoting as we're quoting scripture off memory. Um, ultimately, if, if this was to be likened to a baseball game, here's the way I see it. Every pitch that's thrown and every ball that's hit is a home run. And in some cases, we're going to come into what I see as like a grand slam. And yet I didn't even see time given for the bases to get filled, but somehow they were. And then there's a shot taken and all bases are loaded. Um, I look at this and I really think Jesus is going to say more in these verses than what most men will get out in an entire book. I'm glad I'm not the only person that feels that way, because I did come across this quote. It has been said, if you took all the good advice for how to live ever uttered by any philosopher or psychiatrist or counselor, took out the foolishness and boiled it all down to the real essentials, you would be left with a poor imitation of this great message by Jesus. So there's a lot going on. And, uh, you know, I've often been pinned as having a teaching style of sharing too much information. But this morning I can, uh, and, and the blame is to Jesus. So um, don't come after me. These are his words. He has an awful lot to say. And I think at the same time, there's really um, two things that I would like to do this morning. And the first thing is this. Just simply allowing for the word to speak for itself. For again, these are the words of Jesus. Very clear and very plain for you and I to see and interpret and understand. The things that he's going to say are very contrary to culture in his day. I would also think they're contrary to our culture in our day. And the second thing is if we're going to attempt to package this at all in any way where we can walk out of here having taken something out of everything, um, it's, it's only going to be for the purpose of trying to help us not miss something. I don't want to expound. I don't want to try to make it something it's not or narrow it down. Um, you know, the, the red letters, there's one last thing as I say this and then we're going to jump into the text this morning. So my first year of salvation was spent in a faith-based recovery program called Teen Challenge. Uh, One of the disciplines that 
you could experience uh, within this um, faith-based recovery was what they called a code red. Okay, Code red meant you're in trouble and your discipline is that you're going to write out every word of Jesus, every red letter of the Bible. And so I'm saying this morning is a code red and not in the sense that makes me twitch because of um, that post-traumatic stress I have of being assigned to a code red. Uh, This is in the best sense. There's a code red this morning taking place. These are the words of Jesus. So now I hope I've not said more than's needed, but I hope you realize um, these are the words of the Lord. And our first verse, the only verse we have to breathe and keep and catch our breath is verse 20. Then he lifted up his eyes toward his disciples and said... So, just some context. We're clearly jumping into this uh, in the middle of chapter 6. If you weren't here last week, you wouldn't be aware of the recent events that took place. Um, There's a lot going on, a lot that's vital and important to um, for us to draw meaning and understanding this morning out of these verses. Uh, So, what has taken place? One of the first things that we see that took place last was Jesus chose the 12. He chose his 12 disciples who would uh, do life with him, who would follow him around, who would shadow him and learn from him, and eventually who would be cut loose to carry out his purposes for the world. And we see in verse 20, his eyes went towards who? His disciples. However, we also know in context There was a great multitude that was numbered and found and surrounding him at the same time. Um, One of the things to point out here is uh, this seems very similar in content to the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm I'm only going to bring this forward, um, not for making any points, just for putting out there what common opinion um, has debated through. Okay, so we're going to see something in the 17th verse. Again, as we're looking at context, this is speaking of Jesus. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with the crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all of Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases. Um, So this has... Many similarities to the Sermon on the Mount. However, we see Jesus here being found standing and sharing from a level place. And so some have said, well, this is the Sermon on the Plains. It's a different place that, was, uh, that Jesus was found as he was sharing the things he shared. And all of that, if there was any point for me, I guess, as, as a speaker, where I would resonate to that is that at least it's comforting knowing that Jesus also went forward preaching the same message over and over again. So I'm not the only one who hasn't come up with anything new uh, or has found myself repeating myself. Um, That point aside, what's really the main point for me this morning is what we see in this passage is the the M.O. of Jesus, the mode of operation. We see um, his style, if you will, is to share about the kingdom of God. He's sharing about the kingdom of God. And in the context of what just took place, healings, look in verse 19, for power went out from him and healed them all. Now Jesus has their attention. And what's he going to say to them next? For what's truly important to him is, yes, uh, ministering to people and meeting their physical needs that they have. As he brings healing to people who don't even know him, who have not even yet given their lives to follow him, and yet they've been healed. And now, Jesus, what is truly important to him is what we're now going to enter into this morning. And this is what he has to say. Speaking the words of the kingdom of God. And remember we said Jesus just picked the 12. In a way, he's picked his 12 and again remember there's a multitude but he directs his focus to them. And it's as if he's saying to them, I've just picked you now to follow me. 
And I'm going to share with you about the kingdom of God. And, and ultimately, he's going to paint a picture for them of what it really looks like and means to be a follower of Jesus. And it's going to be contrary to the way that culture lived in their day. And it's going to be contrary even to some of the religious beliefs of that day. And so Jesus is uh, really here with his disciples, giving them a crash course on the kingdom of God. And we have these words now for us. So continuing in verse 20, blessed are you poor for yours is the kingdom of God. And uh, we'll just read through verse 26 here. This is what we have and commonly is known as the Beatitude. So blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and cast out your name as evil... For the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven, for in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. Verse 24 But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And in, finally in verse 26 Woe to you. When all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. So here we have um, the blessed are yous, and then standing in contrast to that is the, the woe to yous. And these are known as the blessed are yous, are known as the be attitudes. And if we were going to summarize that for us this morning, it would just simply be these are the attitudes as followers of Jesus. That we ought to, to be. This is who you and I ought to be. The Beatitudes. Okay? Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you poor. Now, we also have other Gospels to reference. And in Matthew's Gospel, it says, Blessed are you who are poor in spirit, because there's a reality that we know to be true. For both the poor and the rich, theirs is a blessing in Christ, if Christ is theirs. And so, I don't see the matter being of whether you're rich nor poor. For men in Scripture, men all throughout Scripture, have had great riches. Abraham had great riches. David had great riches. And yet, for those men... Those things did not have them. And what we have uh, that we see in Matthew's account of these Beatitudes is, Blessed are you, poor in spirit. And the idea and the picture of what we get here is if you can just imagine um, the homeless man who is standing out and he's begging. He's begging for um, his needs. He's asking the people passing by to give of him what he needs. And, and in the same way, the idea of being poor in spirit can be likened to that man. However, for me, um, growing up in Portland, I don't know that I can so much run with that anymore. Um, a lot of the homeless community these days have far more than sometimes I look and I see myself have. Um, however, with that... We get the idea. It's the picture of the person standing, begging. And this is how you and I ought to be in spirit. This should be the condition, poverty, poor, impoverished in spirit. The poor man must look to others for what he needs. He has no illusions about his ability to provide for himself. So to be poor in spirit is to realize I bring nothing to the table. Literally, I have nothing left. I've got nothing left in this. And now, for that person, theirs is the kingdom of God. 
I remember having a conversation with Pastor Mike once uh, down in Guatemala, and as I was sharing with him a struggle I was having, a struggle to try and do everything that I could do to bring something to pass. And these words came out of my mouth. I've done everything I can do. I have nothing left. And he said back to me, good. Because now God can start to do what only he can do. Great. Now that you're done trying and doing in your own strength what you think you bring or have to offer, now God can step in and do what only he can do. And there's no mistake that Jesus starts off this list of the Beatitudes with blessed are the poor. For the reason in this is he realizes if we come to the table thinking we still have something, then we're not going to be open to the kingdom of God. We're not going to be seeking, desiring, hungering, as we're going to see these next Beatitudes that are going to be listed for us. Why would we find ourselves in this state or condition if we still think we have something left in the fight? But when we realize I've got nothing left for that man, for that woman, now we enter into the next blessing in verse 21. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. So here we have a picture of a person who's hungering. They're hungry. Um, We all know what it is to be hungry. God's designed us and He's made us with an appetite. And when we get hungry, there's nothing that's going to stand between us and getting food. And when it attempts to, that's where people interpret us as being hangry. Um, Why we're hungry and I'm, I'm going after. This is, I need food. And in that same manner, that same type of hungering, we're being told the blessing is on the person who hungers and thirsts after righteousness sake. The person who is seeking, whose focus is on Christ and, and they're hungering for it. Now, if I had to confess there's ever any place in my marriage where my wife and I have misunderstandings, it comes from where I see this scripture. See, my wife is someone who I truly believe she understands this principle better than I've seen anybody. She hungers and thirsts for righteousness um, now. She, she wants to see it now. And as I try to wrestle through understanding that, I realize it's my lack of spirituality. And I realize for her, the things of this world just aren't filling her. You see, when you're not full with the things of this world, there's a hunger that's left inside. And I can at least say for her that she is hungering and thirsting for righteousness sake. And it makes sense to me when I recognize it's the same prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's, it's a, a desire to see his kingdom come now. Ultimately, it's what we know as the longing for heaven. It's what we're not going to see in its completeness until this earth passes and the new earth comes. However, that hunger, that desire is, is to be in a condition. It is to be the condition of the follower of Jesus. And here we have now, blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. And for this person, all right, they've recognized now the the poverty and spirit. I bring nothing to the table. This produces in them a hunger. They're now empty. They're now looking to be filled. They're longing for the kingdom of God. And now for this person, they recognize something about themselves. They recognize their condition. They recognize their nature, their sin nature in complete opposition to God, standing contrary to who God is. And for this person, blessed are you who weep now. This is a weeping and a mourning over our condition. Spurgeon puts it this way, I do not believe in that faith which has not a tear in its eye when it looks to Jesus. Dry-eyed faith 
seems to me to be fatherless faith, not born of the Spirit of God. And perhaps you, like myself, can think back on and you can recall that moment as you were broken over the condition of your sin nature. As you shed tears. I remember mine. One specific time where the Lord truly allowed me to see the condition of my sin nature. And as I was sobbing like a little baby. Actually, I I have a 10 month old. I don't even know that I've seen him sob for as long in the way that I saw. Okay. Swallowing my tears. Gasping to get words out. The full weight and understanding of my sin being allowed to come over me as I broke before the Lord and before man. And perhaps you too have had your moment. This moment is for this. This morning is the godly sorrow that produces repentance to salvation. That's what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. This type of a sorrow that leads to change. It leads us to uh, live differently. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. In verse 22, blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and cast you out. Your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For indeed, your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner, their fathers did to the prophets. I read that and I just go, what in the world? This is crazy talk, man. Rejoice and leap for joy when you're hated. How is this? How could this be? And now I want to just say this. I think it's very important. We don't find ourselves. I don't find myself being the person that every time I'm being hated, I immediately jump to taking the right position. Because... This is the person who's hated for the son of man's sake. The person who's hated. You know, there's some things that I do that are selfish that I probably have warranted some of the persecution maybe that's come my way. However, blessed are you when men hate you when it's for the son of man's sake. And that is a very clear distinction. However, we are told men will hate us when we stand for what's right. When we do things for Christ and are hated for it, we're excluded for it, and we're reviled for it, rejoice and leap for joy. How do we do that? Um, This is an easy thing for me to stand up here and read to you this morning. I can actually share about it. It's also easy to share about it. But when I, when you, when we all walk out of here, it's another thing to live it, to do this. When, when we're hated, to rejoice and leap for joy. However, I believe Jesus gives us the insight. He gives us the answer as to how and to why you and I can do that. And the reason, I think, is a reason that oftentimes we've heard is um, being wrong within the church, perhaps. It's wrong to do something out of what you might get in return. But believe it or not, Jesus himself has an awful lot to say about reward. Look what he says, For indeed your reward is great in heaven, for in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. Your reward is great. The message this morning is not um, get beat up on, okay, get made fun of, get cast out and die. And that's it. And just persevere under it and don't do anything in return. The, the, the message is that for those who remain under that hate for the sake of the Son of Man, and they endure it, for that person, their reward is great in heaven. This message is when you rejoice through this kind of hate and you're getting credited to your spiritual account. Um, There's one song lyric that I 
I love. Uh, this was actually a song that my wife chose for most of our wedding party to walk down the aisle, but there's a part in it that says this. On that day, when I go home and see my Jesus seated on his throne, I'll find a crown upon my head, a thousand jewels for every yes I've said, and I'll offer it right back to him. When we understand the judgment of the believer, a judgment of reward, and we think about that moment and what it's going to be like when we stand before Christ and we're face to face for him and we're being judged based on rewards and we're being rewarded. The joy that comes in my soul thinking and knowing that I will be given something that I can give back to him for what I've done and endured on this earth. That's motivation for the here and the now. And it's not wrong. Jesus talks a lot about reward. He understands if if this is all we're living for, then what more are we living for? But we're living for Him. We're living for eternal life with Him. So let's continue. Verse 24 through 6. Now we have the woes. So woe to you who are rich. We're just going to quickly look at these because for sure we have to keep moving through our text this morning. This is really just the contrast. This is saying then of the other man. And I just want to um, say this. If I put any package over the text this morning, and what I mean by that is a way for us to see all that's being said and see it simply put. Ultimately, Jesus is walking through, comparing and contrasting the, the man who walks in the flesh versus the man who walks in the spirit. The carnal man versus the spiritual man. And ultimately, Jesus is just walking through, painting the difference. A person who is looking to establish their kingdom in this world, and a person who is now understanding the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God being established. Okay, so these woes. Woe to you who are rich. For what? For you have received your consolation. For the rich, they have theirs. What they have is what they get. They've already got what they have. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. And again, remember, it's not a matter of whether you're rich or poor. For many men have been rich, and yet Christ was theirs. The matter is who is yours. Not what you have, but what has you. Now, many people have given a lot. Many people, some have given all For the sake of Christ. And what we know to be true about that person. Is if we had a monetary system. That we could measure the value of the worth of the soul. The value would far surpass whatever has been given up for his sake. Woe to you who are full. For you shall hunger. And so. We know for the person who is full, for the person who is satisfied, who is finding satisfaction in this life, in this world now, ultimately they're going to be left with a hunger and a starvation that is going to starve the the literal life out of them. They'll be left unsatisfied. And finally, woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. When, When we never stop or take time to really consider our condition. And we just say, I'm good. It's all good. Uh, you know, it's, it's not really that bad. I'm not really that bad. And if we never allow for the sobering reality of our nature, our true condition, our, our sin nature to sink in and we just stay self-deceived thinking it's all good, there will come a day where we realize it's not all good. It's not all good. And so woe to that person. And may... May we allow for that revelation and realization to come, if it has not. And woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. And that's our context, to the false prophets. Those who were sharing and saying what wasn't true, those who were saying what the people wanted to hear, to those people, everyone spoke well of them. Jesus is actually saying this, believe it or not, if you follow me, not everyone is going to speak well of you. Can you believe that? Woe to you when all men speak well of you. I just want to put it forward 
like this. Think about it. Um, Paul says this, for those of us, for the believer and the non-believer, we're putting off a fragrance as a believer. We're either putting off a smell that's pleasant or unpleasant. All right, the believer's putting off a smell to the non-believer that is not pleasant. And when, I don't know about you, but if you've ever walked into a room and it smells like there's something dying in there, you're, you're going like a madman trying to find the source of whatever it is that's bringing that horrid smell into the room. And for the non-believer, that distaste to the smell on the believer drives them to the source and in hopes that when they find the source of the smell, they realize this is actually good for me. This is actually the thing I've been looking for. This is actually the source of abundant Life And so it's good for the believer to put off an offensive smell to the non-believer, for it drives them to the source which gives them life. So what are people saying about you? Is it all good? Is everything people say about you good? That's just a question that we have to answer. Do all men speak well of us? So let's move on. And I've committed to finishing chapter 6, and we will. And our pace will pick up here now. So 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. So who's your enemy? Your enemy is simply this. um, Those who hate you, those who curse you, and those who spitefully use you. And what are we told to do with our enemies? We're told to pray for them. We're told to love them. So I was thinking about this. You know, if we were to try to grow a prayer meeting, um, I could just kind of see it happening like this. I don't know that my approach would be to grow a prayer meeting of we're going to gather to pray about our enemies. Um, Let's just use this illustration. Let's say I run into someone and I say, hey, you know, you should um, come and join us for prayer. And they say, man, that would be, that would be awesome. That would be great. Um, where, where and when are you guys praying? Great. Okay, and uh, what are we going to be praying about? Well, we're going to be praying um, for our enemies. Really? Okay. Um, well, yeah, actually, I'm busy this week. I have a lot going on. And um, I'm going to be praying for you guys as you gather and pray. But I don't think I'll be able to make it this week. Who wants to flock to pray for their enemies. Jesus is saying something completely contrary to what our natural man wants to do. You see, to, to be able to love your enemy requires us to, in the moment when everything in us wants to roar and speak out and, and, and retaliate, it causes us to allow for the power of the Spirit to overcome us, to turn and change our heart to do good. It does not say... Wait for a warm, fuzzy feeling to be mustered up inside of you. And then off of that, go and do good. It it just simply says, do good. How do we deal? What do we do? We do good. Simply put, we do good to those who hate. Identify an enemy. Pray for them. That's what Jesus is telling us to do. Verse 29 through 31 to him who strikes you on the one cheek offer the other also and from him who takes away your cloak do not withhold your tunic either give to everyone who asks of you and from him who takes away your goods do not ask them back so um again we've heard these if someone hits you on the one cheek give them the other if they ask for your cloak um go to the extra step of giving them your tuna. Give, give them more than what they've asked for. I just I'll always forever have this testimony of a neighbor that we have. And one day I still hope and pray to look up and see him here. But for now, the relationship we have is, is good. Um, for there's been a winning over towards uh, the love of Christ. But this, this man proceeds to cuss me up in every which direction and way in the back alley. Asking all of these things of me. And I say, you know what? Um, I hear you. And I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that we do not 
accidentally come off the blacktop into the neighbor's yard and, and into her yard again. I hear you. I know she is an older lady, unable to take care of her yard. This is wrong. You're correct. This is not right. Um, the next day, he's out on the porch and he sees me out there mowing her lawn. Um, through all of this transpires me going to that neighbor, starting a relationship with her and offering um, to help her if possible in any way with her lawn. Um, over the years, it's been amazing to watch how that has diffused and won this man over. I can't say for sure that I know he is a believer in Christ. However, what I can say is that he is open. Even our conversation yesterday, very opinionated man, and uh, we don't need to get into all of it. The, the point is this, when we do what Scripture says um, we will reap in, you know, this has a lot to do with the dealings of, of the inward, of the spiritual man, but realize that there is action put to this, and when that action is put, there's real change that's going to be brought. There's, it, it has to change our environment, it has to change our community and our culture. And so it's, yes, dealing with the inward spiritual man, but very much has to do with uh, the the world looking different as we start to follow Christ. So, verse 31, And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. Now, the golden rule, right? Perhaps you grew up in school, you grew up hearing this, um, and you didn't even know it came directly from the mouth of Jesus, from Scripture, and within the golden rule, uh, in Jesus' day, this was so different than what was being said in his day, because in his day, this was a saying that was said in the negative. Don't do to others what you don't want done to you. But anybody can do that. Anyone can abstain. Anyone can withhold doing wrong to someone that they don't want done to them. But in some cases, only... Can a person who is filled in the Spirit do unto someone else what they would want done to them? There's action. He takes the passivity out of that statement and puts the action in it. He changes the negative to a positive and puts it back on us that this is only something that a, a man or a woman under the influence of the Spirit could do because it's contrary. It's against nature. It's not to their natural inclination. Verse 32 through 34. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. Three times he says, for even sinners do it like this. He's saying, look, the fleshly man, the carnal man can do this. I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. That's what the, the carnal man is willing to do. If I'll do this for you if you do it for me. However, what Jesus is saying now in verse 35, but love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be the sons of the Most High. He's saying, um, hey, for those who stab you in the back, scratch their back. For those who hate you, do good to them. This requires us to be and, and will cause us to be separate from and look different than the world and the carnal man and the fleshly man. It will cause us to not look like sinners, although we are. We understand that, right? We're still sinners, but yes, we're also sons. Sons of the Most High. And why is that? Because a son mimics his father. And what Jesus is saying here and reminding us that we're sons is mimic me. Hey, remember that while you were yet sinners, I died for you. While you were yet sinners, I died for you. And in that death, what I got was betrayal. What I got was denied. We remember that. 
In verse 36, Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. And so we've been given the example of our Father. There, we're we're going to look at these things, and it's in the context of the example of what our Father has set for us. Again, we talk about mimicking our Father. Um, in every way, when it comes to what the Father has done for us, it, it will not require less of us. It's going to require more of us. And we have that example. And um, it's one thing to show mercy. But it's another thing to be merciful as the Father has been merciful. Okay, it sets the example. Ultimately, it's, it sets the bar of how to pattern our lives. And again, remember, um, Jesus is speaking of the kingdom of God, but this is one that we can only access through realizing I have nothing to offer and I have nothing to bring to this equation other than to yield to letting the Spirit influence and fill me to take the heart of stone and replace in it the heart of flesh. These things that Jesus is asking us to do is not possible to do outside of the influence of the Spirit. He's proving that out. This is what you can do in your own strength. This is what even the fleshly man can do. All right, now, in verse 37, Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. We'll come back to that at the last part of 38. But give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, perhaps... Um, You've heard of this quote, you can't outgive God. Maybe you've heard someone say that before. Here in our context, the context of giving is talking specifically about loving our enemies, doing good, forgiving people. You can't out forgive God. You can't outdo good to people to God. You, you can't out love people. There's no way you're going to give and it's not going to come back to you in some form and some measure of return from the Lord back to you. And so this idea of for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. I just want to say this. Oftentimes it's easy for me and us to um, measure others in a way that uh, we're not we're unwilling to measure ourselves. It's easy to do that at times, isn't it? And, uh, you know, I just saw the one example of a, a gentleman who, um, in our discipleship training school called uh, Ignite, we give out these missionary books. And he read this book, and it talked all about the, the life and works of this missionary. And he stands up, and the entire uh, presentation was just a public filleting of this missionary of this man and I just was grieved by this and as I stood up and transitioned to inviting the next person I just said you know I personally would not wish to be you right now um, the way that you've just publicly filleted this man and what what measure you've opened yourself up to to be publicly scrutinized and judge your family your fathering your children your wife your ministry your mission I would not want to be you right now. And I just say that to say this. May we realize for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Jesus is just saying, be careful to judge. Be careful to condemn. For how we deal with others, we will be dealt with. So let's move on. Verse 39. And he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. So the blind leading the blind. Can the blind lead the blind? Um, it's important who you're following. It's important who you're following. That's what I see here. And what Jesus is saying is it's not possible for a blind man to lead the blind, for they will both fall. Um, 
But notice here, why is it so important? Because a disciple, when he's fully trained, will be like his teacher. Not like their teachings, not like their sayings, but like the man. And why it's important who we follow in is Jesus is the one saying this, that ultimately we follow him. The flip side to that is we will become like him. You know, this challenges me in three quick ways. As a father, I already see my son at 10 months doing stuff. I swear I ask my wife, where did he get that? Who taught him that? And as she looks back at me laughing, she says, you taught him that. He makes these faces. I don't know. He's like, I need to look in the mirror more at what I'm doing because it's scary coming from him. Um, He's a beautiful little man. But um, as a father, as a leader, realizing people don't give a rip what you say, at least in that they're not going to look like what you say. They're going to look like who you are, what you do your character, your nature, and finally, as a follower, realizing then those that I'm following, wanting to make sure that these are men or women of character in Christ. And ultimately, again, remember, we need to follow Christ above all that we might see this now in our favor that we're going to turn out looking like Him. What a blessing, what an awesome promise that is that we have in scripture and um, verses 41. I, I apologize at our pace and for the uh, information, but please just, we're going to wrap up here in the next few minutes. So, uh, verse 41 And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye? When you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye, hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. You know, in regards to this, I've often heard it said, the, plank, or the speck that we're seeing in our brother's eye is just a reflection of the plank in our own. Okay, two places that we can live in life, and it's easy to live in this first place, looking out the window quick to look on, quick to judge, quick to condemn, quick to draw conclusions and make assumptions about everything and everyone but ourselves when the reality is our focus ought to first be to live life looking in the mirror, letting the examination be on self, not so quick to look out the window and pass judgment. Verse 43, For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree Bear good fruit, for every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of good treasure of his heart brings forth, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Again, I mean, trying to let you guys catch your breath, but I did not get to, it's just... This is, this is the big leagues right now. Heavy hitting. Okay, Every scripture that we ever could spend days on is just being thrown at us. Um, what's in the man will come out of the man. What's in will come out. And in the context of not judging, Jesus also warrants and gives room to be discerners, to be fruit inspectors, to be men and women who can examine the fruit. Don't judge. However, it is clear, it is plain to see what fruit comes from the tree. And what's in the man will come out of the man. And finally, as we close out here in these final verses, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. This whole tone can be set in this one question. Why? Why? What compels a person to say, Lord, Lord, when in reality um, they don't do the things that he says? Why is it? Why is it that we can say, Lord, Lord, and perhaps maybe it is that on Sundays we come to church and the rest of the week, though, it looks like me, me. What compels? What drives a person? Why? Um, That's a question for you to answer it before the Lord. But why is it that we would see the value in in saying vain word if we aren't willing to, verse 
47, come here and do. That's what Jesus is saying. Come to me, hear my sayings, and do them. And does them, I will show you whom he is like. And we close with perhaps, again, a well-known scripture. And and, uh, if you're sitting here going, well, I don't know a lot of scripture. I've not heard these things. Um, Blessings to you for the first time as often. And when things are new, uh, they're more intoxicating. So I pray you're being blessed uh, immeasurably. But um, 48, he is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream uh, who... Sorry, let me start at 48. He is like a man building a house who dug a deep who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against the house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. 49. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. And, and what I see here for us is that, um, again, there's two types of people. Are, are you tracking here the fleshly man and the spiritual man? Both can build a house. Both homes can appear to have everything it needs to sustain the storm. But it's only through the testing that we will see whether the house has been built on the foundation or not. I have an old whitefish home, and there is a garage that is built without a foundation. Next to almost every week, I have to plane or shim the door just to get it to open still because the garage is slowly tilting on its side. Um, My wife said the other day there was a windstorm. She's like, the trees were blowing into it. It was blowing over. Um, Okay, this is a home without a foundation. And the storm, when it comes, it, it will expose what's in the man better and quicker than anything. We can breathe now. Thank you for joining us as we studied the Word this morning. If you would like more information about Sela Fellowship, please visit us on the web at salafellowship.org. While you are there, feel free to check out some of our other messages and past book studies. Thank you again, and God bless.